Who can believe it's actually December? Um, I can't believe it's December. What a 12 months we've had. How fast has it gone? I was just kind of writing some notes of what's happened this year. Three prime ministers, four chancellors, um, the cost of living crisis, the horrible war in Ukraine that still goes on, um, to name just a few. We've had COP27 and the ongoing climate crisis. We've got famines in Somalia and other places, probably linked to the whole climate crisis that we're in. So many world, huge world events and so many national challenges. Is it any wonder it feels like a blur that the last 12 months has been? That we're here and we're like, wow, how did this year just fly by so quickly? I asked a question, um, Marley Hill didn't get it, so here you go. See if any of you know this answer to this little question. Do you, does anyone know what the dictionary word of the year is for 2022? Anybody? Anybody? Any, no? Yes, go on, Darren. Oh, yes. You see, we're better than Molly Hill. And no offense if you're watching online. Um, so um, anyway, permacrisis. We are a multi-site church, equally valued on both locations. Um, and um, permacrisis, and this is the definition of a permacrisis, that we're basically living in a state of permanent crisis. And um, so that's the word that so many people have been using this year, that the Oxford Dictionary have made it their word of the year. So whether it's pandemics, famines, chaotic weather and politics, cost of living, we're constantly living under that stress and anxiety of a sense of crisis. Nicola came across um, a lady on Facebook, um, a Naomi Holt, and she's a psychologist, and she said this. We crawled into 2022, still carrying shock, trauma, grief, heaviness, disbelief, the memories of a surreal existence. And then it began, the fastest hurricane year we could have ever imagined. Whether we have consciously processed it or not, this has been a year of more pressure, more stress, and the race to catch up in all departments, every single one, work, school, sports, relationships, life. Though not intentionally aware, perhaps hopefully, that the busier we are, the more readily we will forget, the more easily we will undo the emotional tangle, the more permanently we will wipe away the scarring wounds. But we can't. We can't. I'm going to add a little bit onto that. We can't on our own without Jesus. Let me read you an extract from another online article that I found. Over the last year, Mind and Rethink Mental Illness have reported an increase in demand for their services. For example, in the last 12 months after the first national lockdown, so it was maybe a year old this, was announced, Rethink reported a 175% increase in demand for advice and information on their website. I don't know whether you saw the news this week. Um, the boss of Tesco's, I think it was. Um, it might have been Asda. I get confused. Um, anyway, he was talking to BBC News and just explaining that more and more people are using those self-scan machines as they do their shopping because they have a fixed budget in their heads and they have to try and stick to it. So they're making choices about what they buy and what they don't. You know, as Naomi Hold quite rightly says, this year has been a hurricane year on the back of a surreal and traumatic two years. Okay, little different note. Did anyone see the results from the 2021 census come out this week? Anybody? 
Well, I was listening to Radio 5 Live, as, and they were talking about it, and it was pretty, pretty horrible, the way, and biased, the way they came across on the radio. But basically, the, for the first time, less than 50% of the UK population has, um, is kind of would describe themselves as Christian, 46.2%. Still significantly higher than those that would say they have no religion, but still lower than we've seen in many decades. But I thought I'd put it into context, because the way the news reported it, you would think that people had forgotten about God altogether. Um, and this is, so back in 2019, the Conservative government won an 80-seat majority. Does anybody know what percentage of the adults voted for the Conservative Party in 2019? No, I was not expecting to get that answer, to be fair. Um, 30%. 30%. So it's interesting the way the media have interpreted this data. However, we can't kind of escape the fact that faith is, being, is reducing across our country. So anxiety and a sense of permacrisis is increasing while faith is decreasing. I came across this um, little diagram. A couple of years old, but over a 10-year period, the use of antidepressants has increased by 97%. Maybe I'm drawing conclusions where there is none, but I find it interesting that as faith decreases, as people become their own god, and all of a sudden the book stops with them. There is nowhere else to go. Nobody to pray to. Nobody to lay our worries and our burdens upon. That stress and anxiety increases across people's lives. And, um, you know, we all need help sometimes. I'm not anti-antidepressants. I think they have a place and God uses them. And we all, even Christians, need the help of medics. So maybe there is no correlation. Maybe we're just better at recognizing what's going on in people's lives. Or maybe there is something to be said for the lack of faith, meaning that we feel the pressure and the ultimate responsibility of our lives. So we find ourselves in 2022, not facing the worry of Omicron, thankfully, but instead the worries of war personal finances, political paralysis, climate catastrophe on the back of all the trauma and challenge of the pandemic. Happy Advent, everyone. But seriously, it is really important that we recognise the times we're living in and the impact that these times are having on our lives and the lives of all those around us. But I want to say that today's message, this Advent talk, this is what I feel the Lord is, one of the things he's saying. Do not despair. Do not despair. So today we are going to remember that first Advent. Back, what, 2,000 plus years ago. And we're going to see that the state of Israel was actually not that dissimilar to the state we find ourselves in today. And we're going to look at how God responded back then 
and how I believe he's going to respond today, tomorrow in 2023. You see, 2,000 so years ago, a baby was born and the world was changed forever. Hope came. So we need to look to hope. I'm going to quickly pray. Father God, it's so hard when we have two choices sometimes. We acknowledge the state we see all around us, which makes us feel a bit bad and a bit sad. Or we bury our head in the sand and just pretend it's not really happening. So Lord, we just want to acknowledge where we find ourselves, all that's happened and all that's happening. And we ask that today as we look to the hope of a baby, to the hope of a saviour, that we might leave today feeling hopeful, anticipating what you're going to do in the weeks and months and years ahead. Amen. Okay, so the last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. It was written around 400 to 424 BC, roughly about the same time as Nehemiah, maybe a little bit after Nehemiah, or certainly historically a little bit after the events of Nehemiah. And um, after that book was written, Malachi, um, there is about a 450-year gap in biblical literature. So what we see in Malachi is, if you like, the state of the story of Israel before the birth of Jesus. We have like a final snapshot of what's going on in the nation of Israel. And in a second, I'm going to just look at the headings that the NIV have placed into the book of Malachi, because it's fascinating. But let's just expand the context of Malachi for a little while. So back in around 600 BC, Israel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. I hate doing these things because I think, have I got these dates right? But I'm pretty sure. I did my research. 600 years um, BC. And that captivity lasted around 70 years. However, the state of Jerusalem was, was really bad. You know, the walls had been knocked down, the gates had been broken. And so for the next 90 or so years, almost Israel lived in a state of kind of brokenness. And then enter Nehemiah. Nehemiah kind of has this vision to reinstate the walls and the state of Jerusalem. And so Israel goes through a little bit of a renaissance. The walls are built, the gates are made. Nehemiah tries to introduce the scriptures, you know, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the laws, the rules. But even with all of that, we read in Malachi that they just really didn't get it. It became something that once again, their faith, their trust in, in God just drifted. And so about 20 years or so after the walls, Malachi was written, and this is the headings that the NIV give it. These headings are made kind of just to help us understand that they were never there in the original text, but they are helpful little pointers to what the writer was trying to say. So these are the headings. Israel doubts God's love. Breaking covenant through blemished sacrifices. Additional warning to the priests. Breaking covenants through divorce. Breaking covenant through injustice. Breaking covenant by withholding tithes. Israel speaks arrogantly against God. Well, I certainly heard that on Radio 5 Live this week. The faithful 
remnant, judgment and covenant renewal. So even in the midst of Israel's recommitment, after the rebuilding of the walls in 52 days, just an incredible miracle, they still began once again to reject God. And in 63 BC, they were once again captured, this time by the Roman Empire. So even though it's a kind of a four to five hundred year sort of gap between this moment and the birth of Jesus and the launching of the church, I think we can see that Israel were kind of living in this kind of perma-crisis. You know, going from captivity to captivity, kind of broken walls, the state of their country was a bit of a mess. They kind of had little bits of hope and then it all kind of started to fall apart again. You know, in this country, 2001, 72% of the population described themselves as Christian. 59 in 2011, 46 in 2021. Millions of people in 20 years have drifted. Now, I wonder if God wrote a letter to the, the church or the people of the United Kingdom. You know, if he decided I'm going to do a 67th book, I'm not saying he is, that would be heresy. But if, um, if he did, what would he say? I wonder if he would just cut and paste some of the bits of Malachi and just drop it in to our context. You see, how much are the people today who would say exactly what was said in Malachi? 3.14. You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about life, going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? So I think we find ourselves in a nation, comparable state to that of Israel, 450 years before the birth of Jesus. You see, I always look at this and think, Goodness, it would have been completely understandable if God looked at that and said, I'm done with humanity. I'm just done. You know, victories, blessings, favor, resource. Over hundreds and hundreds of years, I've done whatever they've asked. I've tried to help them. I've tried to guide them. But they still keep rebelling and rejecting me. We'd understand if he wiped his hands of humanity However, God is a God of faithfulness. He's a God of truth. And God had promised humanity that he would send a saviour. So throughout all of the Old Testament, we see these little pointers, these little prophecies, these little promises. Humanity could not save itself. God told us that all the way through. Humans will not be able to sort themselves out. Instead, We will need Jesus. So in the midst of rebellion, God sent his son Jesus to make a way for all humanity to be restored to the Father. You know, that first advent, God once again spoke. This time to a carpenter and to a teenager. Let me read you one. Mark 1. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will never reign over. Ja- and he will reign, sorry, over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So there is a theologians call this gap between Malachi and the angel coming to Mary has the 400 years of silence. So basically, there is a moment in our history, in humanity's history, where it seems like God stopped talking, stopped writing, stopped raising up prophets to speak to the world. But then God spoke. Not to a king, not with a loud antennae, no, speaker, not antennae, um, He spoke to a carpenter and he spoke to a teenager about the greatest thing that's ever going to happen on the earth. And Mary became pregnant, as we all know the story we'll look at in the weeks to come, gave birth to Jesus, God incarnate, the saviour who made a way for us all to be forgiven. 400 years of silence and then boom, the answer to all of our rebellion and sin, the birth of Jesus. There is once again hope. See, so often the wilderness, the desert, the silence, after it comes the blessing, comes the favour, comes a move of God. In the story of Israel, we see this in the rebellion, the silence, and then the announcements of the birth of a saviour. And then as soon as that announcement, give it 30, 40 years, and then the church is birthed and explodes in growth. And before we know it, the gospel is spread around the whole world, the hope and the favour of God. And here we are today, in this room and over at Marley Hill and gathering tonight. Why? Because of that promise to a teenager in Nazareth. Silence after silence comes. The favour... But what does that mean for us today in the UK? What does that mean for us today? Because I don't know about you, but it has felt like it's quite hard to hear God's voice in the midst of all of the crisis and the difficulties that we've been going through. You know, is it inevitable that over the next 20, 30 years that Christianity is going to become marginalised and minimalised in our country? Well, only God knows, I suppose. But the thing is, historically we see when Christianity is pushed to the sides, it does very well. The gospel breaks in and people start to come to know Jesus. But I I believe that we are entering a moment of real hope. So I kind of set the scene for what I believe the Lord wants to speak to us today. And um, even though all of that has been where we are and what we've lived through, I think God is about to move in our country. I really do believe we're about to enter a season of real favour. And I believe he's going to do it in three ways. I think he's going to move in three ways. In the midst of all of the difficulty, all of the challenge, He's going to call back the prodigals. I believe we're going to see an increase, a massive increase in signs, wonders, and miracles. 
and I believe we're going to see a significant and sustained increase in salvations. See, in the tiredness, in the anxiety, in the trials we all face is real hope. Here's the hope, actually, the anticipation of God once again moving in power across our land. I really believe this Christmas represents, you know, one of those turning page moments in the history of this country. You know, where a chapter is coming to an end and a new chapter is about to begin. I believe that if we stand firm, if we pray, and we're going to need to pray, if we continue to gather together like this, if we teach the Bible, if we serve the poor, if we share the gospel, if we learn to love each other even more and love God even more, we will see these three moves of God in our lifetime, in our near future, even this Christmas. So firstly, the prodigals returning. So many people across the UK have either drifted away from church and faith in Jesus, or have placed themselves on the periphery of faith and community. They live their life away from God. God is like a distant relative, or even a forgotten relative. Well, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to awaken faith in the prodigals. And they will once again gather with others in Jesus' house to worship and surrender their lives anew. Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're listening online, and you just found yourself, stumbled across the YouTube, or just stumbled your way into church. Well, I believe God is calling you, is wooing you back to himself. The Holy Spirit is moving, stirring in the hearts of those where faith has maybe fell silent and is going to reignite it. See, life has got pretty impossible for so many. And in the impossibility, the only answer is God. The only answer is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will remind the prodigals of that. Just like the prodigal son who found himself in with pigs in an impossible situation, he went, I could go back to the Father. So many people in this country are going to get to that place. And we need to pray that the Holy Spirit stirs their hearts and draws them back into this church, into every church around this country. These three points, I really believe, are things that the Lord wants to do. So the invitation is for you to just make this something you pray for. As a church, let's be praying for these things when we're gathered and also when we're doing our own thing, quiet times at home. Okay, signs, wonders and miracles. The Apostle Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 4, sorry, 2, 4 to 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What is unique about Christianity is the power. We don't come with wise and persuasive words, thankfully. Um, we'd be in trouble. Um, but we have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been given authority. 
And if we take hold of the power and authority we have as followers of Jesus once again, then once again we'll see an explosion in signs, wonders and miracles. You see, I think lots of people in our country, in our region, are actually sick of words. They've heard lots of words. What people need is power. Is a miracle in their life. Is actually to see some change in their life. The Holy Spirit is going to awaken our faith. Yes, the Holy Spirit is going to awaken the faith of the prodigals. But actually he's going to awaken our faith. Our confidence. Our courage to step out in the authority that we have. Um, I'm reading a book, because we're going to do a series called Come Holy Spirit in the New Year, just because to lean into these things that the Lord is putting on our hearts. But I'm reading a book called Quest for the Radical Middle, which is the story of the vineyard. And um, I'm probably going to talk a little bit about it in the New Year, but it's just an incredible story of a move of the Lord through signs, wonders, and miracles, and faithful people who were taking risks. And I feel the Lord is saying to us, let's be a people who take risks. You know, yeah, the last two or three years, it's been difficult. We've kind of been in survival mode in many ways. But let's once again step into our authority, take hold of our authority. And let's be expectant of signs, wonders and miracles. And then finally, I really do feel that we are in the cusp of seeing a significant and sustained increase in salvations. In that first advent, God was moved to action. Humanity could not save themselves. And in their despair and anxiety, God sent his son, Jesus. You see, God the Father knows that the only answer to the burden so many carry, the pressure so many feel, and the pain so many suffer, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with faith and courage to preach the gospel. Because each and every person needs Jesus. Always has, but maybe more than ever before in our country. We can't, as Naomi Hold said, fix ourselves. Only Jesus can bring hope and life to our weary bodies and minds. Only Jesus can save us and give us life. We have to see, it's, it's an imperative, it's a desperation, a significant and sustained increase in people coming to know the Lord. Daily, people are added to their number, those that were being saved. Lord, would you do the same in our time? You know, that's the people we serve through all of our compassion stuff that we celebrated last week. Maybe those we bump into just doing about our daily lives, our neighbours, our work colleagues, our friends, our family, strangers. They need Jesus so badly. You see, faith might have decreased in this country. We might be living in um, what the Oxford English Dictionary call a permacrisis. However, here's what we need to take away. We need to look to hope. We need to hold on to hope. 
Because just as we see in the first advent, when things get to be like this, God does not sit back. He does not stay distant. He steps down to us. God is still incarnate in the world. He's not gone anywhere. He may have appeared to be a little silent, but he is ready to act in a fresh and new way. He never stops loving us. He's on the move. This Advent, you know, and as we look to next week's nativities, invite people to come. And tonight, yes, um, invite people to come and to the carol services on the 18th. This is the easiest time to invite people to come and remind them of Jesus. Invite the prodigals you know. Invite those that don't know the Lord at all. Let's be a people of invitation. But let's look ahead with expectation and faith that God is on the move, that something is stirring. Let's stand together in faith, in prayer, that we will see the prodigal's return Signs, wonders and miracles increase. And many, many people come to know Jesus for the first time. This Christmas, next week, next year and beyond.